Hi everyone, this is Kevin Smith. And Brian Belter. And welcome back to our uh, discussion series on the book of Exodus. Today we're sort of looking into a what now type situation. The Israelites are on the other side of the Red Sea. They've celebrated. Egypt is no longer a threat. Uh, but suddenly they have the wilderness to face. Uh, in order to move into this discussion, we'll be reading from chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve sprigs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Thank you for reading that, Brian. One of our shorter segments that we've had, especially like we've had a lot of long segments here lately. Yeah, we kind of started out doing, you know, maybe half a chapter at a time, and then <laughs> what did we do there? Three, four chapters of uh, just the plagues in one day. So it's kind of <laughs> nice to slow it down again and maybe dive a little deeper into a shorter section of scripture here. I think this one was only five verses. Yep, five whole verses at the very end of chapter 15. But there, there's a little bit to get out of that. Um, I don't particularly remember this specific story as being one of great importance in the story of Exodus. Like, you know, again, once again, to harken back to Sunday school days and some, you know, maybe some more glossed over Bible studies and things like that. You know, I don't really remember focusing on this, this short little you know, story of, of God. Well, it's not as, it's not as flashy as manna from heaven or, right. uh, water from a rock and certainly not as powerful as the plagues or the, and what the we just saw. Yeah. Sea. Yeah. I mean, this is like kind of just a sweet little moment between God and the Israelites. I mean, they're groaning of course, because they tend to do that a lot. Throughout. <laughs> they, they, they are a people that groan. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's, I don't know, I think you you actually said it, and maybe I'll let you describe how this is sort of harkens to um, another New Testament miracle. Yeah, it kind of just spoke to me that, hey, we're having bitter water turn sweet. Um, this is kind of the first miracle, if you will, of God providing for his people. And then I think what was Jesus' first miracle... Uh, in the New Testament was turning the water into wine at the the wedding in Canaan. That's kind of a neat little parallel. Uh, I mean, because after all the flash and thunder and craziness of the plagues and uh, the destruction of the Egyptian army, this is a you know this is God sort of calming down a little bit more yeah. and yeah. calling himself a provider, a healer. I believe is the exact yeah, word. Yeah, this is a, a new 
kind of moniker for God that we see here in this chapter. We've we've heard him called, you know, holy and mighty and powerful and and now he says, I am the Lord, your healer. And I just thought that was very the title of this section is Bitter Water Made Sweet. And to me that was that's kind of a very sweet statement. I am the Lord, your healer. Yeah. I am I am here to, to provide for you, not just to protect you, not just to destroy your enemies, but I'm here to provide for you. The many faces of God. I mean, he he is all things, and he's certainly not just a a jealous, wrathful God, as you see a lot in the Old Testament, uh, but he's the same God who provides and ends up providing the greatest gift of all, obviously, through his own son's sacrifice on the cross. It's just... And again, we're back to water. Yep, water I mean, once again. It plays such a huge role in so many of these stories, both Old Testament and New Testament. Water is, is around quite a bit. One of the building blocks of life. I mean, it makes perfect sense that God's hand would work through water so easily and quickly. I did also, uh, in this passage, like that uh, we kind of got a a little taste, a little precursor of the type of covenant that the Lord is going to make with the Israelites. Um, you know, we, we're all going to remember Ten Commandments and the, the laws and, and things like that. But this is, a, again, like I said, a little taste of that. When, when the Lord says, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord and do which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, he will put none of the diseases on you that were put on the Egyptians. And I mean, we, we all know that we fall short of that perfection constantly. Yes. I, mean, yes. I mean, the Lord was getting ready to provide these Ten Commandments, knowing full well that his people could never fully uphold them. And the, even this covenant that he makes with them right here and there, an early statute for, like, precursor of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's it's impossible for man to diligently listen to his word and follow his commandments but i mean he gives us his promise there that if we were to do those things we would be perfection yes. and it's that early promise holds true to today when we finally reach that perfect level uh, when we are finally welcomed into the arms of the lord through Jesus' sacrifice, taking the full blame of our sinful accounts, I mean, we will be perfectioned. Yeah, I always... You say the word perfection, and uh, I always like this, uh, this statement that we are in a constant state of being made perfect. We are not perfect. We're never going to achieve perfection in this worldly form that we take. But we are constantly being made perfect. And uh, that, that term is sanctified. We are being sanctified. We are being made holy and perfect. But we're never all the way there. We're constantly in a state of need to grow and to get further along with that. Because, like you're saying, we, we, we cannot keep these statutes and commands and diligently obey the voice of God. That's impossible for us. But we can get better. We can get better with it. Yeah, and the more and the more we do, again, the Lord the Lord provides when we follow His His commands. And I think so many people who struggle with Christianity 
see things like that and say, well, if you're never going to be able to live up to these commandments, if you can never live a perfect life or or get by with good works alone, then like... What's the point? Yeah, what's the point? And like for me, it's just the opposite. It's a measure of peace. Yes. It's like, yes, I'm going to constantly strive to uphold these values that the Lord wants from us because why wouldn't I? I mean, he's our Lord. He's our protector. He wants the best for us. He, His perfection is available to us. Why would I not yearn for it and attempt to achieve it? But there's a measure of peace knowing that it's already been bought. Yes, yes. And despite the fact that I will never obtain it myself, despite my best efforts, or, you know, maybe not my best efforts, I, I, I always feel like I'm trying my best, but I'm, I'm probably not. You know, it, there's, there's still that salvation, that grace for me. Yeah, it is a two, two-sided coin, a double-edged sword that in acknowledging our, our sin and imperfection, we know that pff, nothing that we do will ever earn us heaven, will ever earn us salvation. And that can kind of be something that drags you down. But at the same time, when you know that that, that imperfection, that longing, that need in us is fulfilled through Christ, then on the opposite side, it completely offers you 100% peace. Yeah. Bitter water made sweet. Well, I think that's the uh, the perfect statement to end on today, Kevin. I do want to remind everyone during this Lenten season uh, that we do have services every Wednesday during Lent. Uh, we have an 11 a.m. service. We have a 7 p.m. service on Wednesdays. Right before that 7 p.m. service, there is one little thing that goes on. What is that? <laughs> well, we got to have dinner. we got to have dinner. 5.45 prior to the 7 <laughs> o'clock service. Uh, I don't know why that's become a joke among us, but it is. Um, don't forget also, uh, we still have our weekend services during Lenten season. Saturday evenings, uh, 5 p.m., and then Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10.30, we have service. And between those services, we have an hour-long Bible study and Sunday school. As always, at the close of our conversational devotion, we'd like you to join us for a short prayer. Lord, I truly do love these quieter moments in the book of Exodus. We see a lot of flash and thunder, your massive power in the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. But here you show us a glimpse of a quieter, providing nature that you have for us. We spoke at length about how you provided your only son to sacrifice himself on the cross to save us from our sins today. And it truly shows that you are the great provider. Not just the God of plagues and of destroying armies, but also the same God who will sweeten water so his people may have a drink. Lord, Brian and I getting together to have these conversations on the book of Exodus have been a wonderful time. And I thank you for leading us to this potential wealth of devotion and conversations on your own salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us today. And just a reminder, all scripture readings and references do come from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Thank you. God bless.